Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about Avengers Infinity War and Endgame and kind of all things Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, today I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Hello, everybody. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello. And editor Alex Calleros. Hi. So our most recent video was about Spider-Man Homecoming, and it was part of this uh, kind of series of videos organized by Matt from Nandovi Movies, where a bunch of creators... Uh, took scenes that they found interesting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and made a video about it. And so I chose uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, the scene where uh, they're on the way to the homecoming dance, and I won't say any spoilers, but it's the best scene in the movie, I think. There's a lot of really good tension and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sort of coming off of that and with Endgame having just come out, it seemed like a really good time to let's just talk about those movies and Marvel and what this whole... 22 film cinematic universe thing has become Mm -hmm. so uh yeah so we've all seen endgame do we want to go around and sort of talk about our feelings about about endgame yeah let's start with brian okay what are your thoughts brian (laughs) um i i enjoyed it i thought it was really impressive um i do get a little fatigued when there are just that many storylines and you know that kind of thing so it's just you're following a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff and i think it was very much a fan service movie, and I think the more fan service, there's like almost a sliding scale between fan service and like the other end of the spectrum being pleasing everyone. So I think mm-hmm. you can sort of alienate people who are like, I don't know why on your left is a meaningful thing that someone says, to so, you know, or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but I also think that the movie did a, a pretty good job of balancing a lot of different tones and a lot of different stories and a lot of different histories of mm-hmm. 11 years of these movies and, and everything. Um, but uh, I did, I did find myself sort of feeling a little overwhelmed at times just going like okay like maybe mm-hmm. when i watch it a second time i'll be able to to pick apart a little bit more but uh just overall i, I thought it was enjoyable i really really liked it i thought it was just awesome and just brings me childlike joy i think that's the experience <laughs> for a lot of us like why these movies are still popular among kids and adults and they're sort of our, like the quintessential family big blockbuster action movie like why you go to the movie theater anymore you know there are plenty of movies that you would just as soon watch at home on your own television but big superhero movies aren't like that you still want to go to the theater you still want to have that huge experience of being blown away And I've had the opportunity to go with kids for like a a lot of these different movies. And being in the theater, especially if you're surrounded by young people who these are their heroes, they are just beaming. I took my neighbor, uh, who's 10 years old, to go see Endgame. And I walked in to like pick, pick him up. And I was like, dude, are you so excited? And he was like, I couldn't even sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, everyone was clapping and cheering during the whole experience. It's just, I will love these movies forever just for that. They bring us back to why we love movies and I'm here for it. I couldn't be more here for it. I, when I saw uh, Infinity War, I went in the afternoon and it was like a weekday. And I didn't think about that, like, oh, kids have just gotten mm-hmm. out of school. And so the theater was, like, filled with kids. And, like, there were a bunch of, like, 12 and 13-year-olds, like, right next to me that were, like, whispering and, like, talking. And at first I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so annoying. But once I kind of, like, I could kind of hear what they were talking about mm-hmm. and just, like, the pure, like, childlike joy and excitement that they had, yes. like, became infectious. And I was, like, with them. And then, like, Black Panther came on screen and, like, yeah. everybody did the, like, the salute. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, like, this is... Like crazy that this is 
the the new generation like these are their superheroes and i'm very thankful for that marvel has created people that i think are actually good role models to aspire yeah. to and all those things totally mm. yeah alex <laughs> I just got a side eye from Trisha because I'm the I'm like the non fan in the group as far as I just don't Marvel re- Scrooge I just don't really care <laughs> I've enjoyed a lot of the movies and I really enjoyed Endgame actually like it was genuinely impressive what it did I feel like I can appreciate it as like a feat mm-hmm. of story closure like series finale epic thing it, it was just kind of that thing where because of my disinterest in the universe it was like the tv show everybody watches and if you don't watch it what's wrong with you and now we're all gonna go see the series finale but you missed half the episodes and the other half the episodes you like enjoyed but like don't remember really because they all just feel the same and all the endings of the movies are just another battle where things bounce around and nothing really matters Uh And, and so given all that impressively i was like, very moved during endgame i mean things hit me hard like the opening sequence we're getting the spoilers here can we talk about i mean we better because I mean, otherwise yeah. i mean it's, it's we're having a really weird conversation these yeah. two movies are very spoiler heavy yeah, yeah. the opening sequence with hawkeye mm-hmm. and his family disappearing actually hit me really hard it yeah. was like very well done and then you know the five years later yeah like they're just gonna show the world's like dealing with like it's almost like that um hbo show the leftovers mm-hmm. yeah. they actually mm. they actually fully invested for a period of the movie and like what does it mean that we've lost half the population and uh it was heavy and it was actually affecting and so i was like, really impressed by the fact that it was able to give me that emotional experience without it all just being references because i think when mm-hmm. i get annoyed with some of these movies it's like this only means something if you understand this reference and this reference and this inside joke and this thing. Yeah. And that's why it's good. But nothing in the sexual scene is like doing anything but referencing. Right. And I think Endgame had a lot of that. And I was definitely feeling like I'm not in the cool kids club of like getting everything. <laughs> but it gave me enough just like genuine in the present moment emotional experiences that I I enjoyed myself a lot. But I, I feel like overall with these movies... Like I said before, it's like it's the TV show everybody watches, but it's not a TV show that you would ever watch. But like you kind of have to resign yourself to watching it or else mm-hmm. you're not a part of like the cultural conversation. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, once you get towards like final season series finale things in a TV show, a lot of it is fan service. A lot of it is callbacks and things. Right. And if you just never cared that much, it's just not for you. So yeah. it's, I have a weird relationship with these movies where it's just I get why everybody is so happy that all this is happening, but I just never was invested enough to know why this is so amazing. Yeah. 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 I had a little bit of that experience where some character would show up on screen and everyone would like cheer and freak out. And I was like, well, first of all, you you knew they were going to be in the movie. <laughs> and second of all, like, I, okay. Like, I don't know. Like it just, it, I didn't I have mean, the I, same. I get that. Like I cheered when, in, when saw two towers and then like Legolas pops up and then Eric Horn, mm. you know, like I get it. Like if we, <laughs> we just, you just see a sequel and your characters are there again. You just get excited. Right. And I, yeah, yeah, I totally get it, but it's just, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I realize, Oh, right. I'm not the full on audience for this. I'm, right. I'm having a good time. I've seen all the movies and then, and et cetera, but I'm not these people who are just like, right (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like my relationship with all the marvel films has been interesting and gone to like lots of places where Mm -hmm. like 
I remember Iron Man coming out and being like, yeah. hey, there's an Iron Man? What a <laughs> dumb idea for a superhero. But I had a close friend, my friend Steve Albonico, who was like really into all the comics. And he was like, no, you don't understand. Like Iron Man's really cool. And he'd like tell me all the things. Mm-hmm. And like I saw it and I was like, that was a good movie. And then like, but why was like Samuel L. Jackson at the end? And my friend was like, no, you don't understand. Like the Avengers Initiative means this, this, this. And I'm like, they're going to do that? That sounds like a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And I feel like over the years, it's been like, kind of into it but then just like fatigued and like please stop making these movies like i don't care and then somehow in the last like three years i I feel like it was actually i think uh captain america civil war that like Mm -hmm. kind of won me back over where i was just like oh like you're kind of pulling off this thing that i think should be impossible yeah and i think ultimately that's also what i i really enjoy about Infinity War and Endgame was I went in ready to forgive because I was like, what you're trying to do should not be possible. It will not be good, but I will, you know, give you the benefit of the doubt. And then I feel like they really nailed it as far as like knowing who their main audience is and who like the fans that they know they have. I feel like they delivered 110% for them. Um, But it is interesting that in order to do that, especially with these last two films, they had to kind of like let go of bringing in new people. Like you have to have seen other movies in this series in order to be invested. Like like, like this emotional scene only makes sense if you've seen Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. And and I didn't see those movies. So I was like, I don't know who this girl is that he's really amazed to see now. Is that like his wife? Or is that like, (laughs) she seems really young. Like, I don't know what's happening. Wow. (laughs) It's it's also like, (laughs) I think the scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp where he loses the other three, that's after the credits, right? Or like in the middle of the credits. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, yeah, not only have you had seen the movie you had to also like keep watching and so it's like every frame of marvel is canon that you have to sort of make sure you've seen it all in order to appreciate every payoff sure um but i also think there's a difference between you see those movie sequels where there's a joke where it's like well just don't bring a candy bar and you're like i have no idea what that means because i didn't see the first movie uh and and it's completely alienating uh but then you have the other moments where it's the moment does the moment is just a normal moment if you're seeing the movie and you haven't seen the other don't remember whatever but then if you have then it's an extra payoff and i think mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really the skill that that's the craft of making this kind of thing is to make something that works standalone as much as it can for something like Endgame, right but right. then um but then also has a lot of payoff to people who are like oh my gosh i remember when iron man said that thing in the first movie and like mm-hmm. how cool you yeah know, right? and i think on your left is a good example of that mm-hmm. where like when they said it in Endgame. I didn't immediately register that it was a thing. It was just like, oh, like it's cool. Oh, he's here. And then like moments later, I was like, oh, wait, but that's the thing he said when they like first met and they were like doing laps and stuff. Iron Man wanting cheeseburgers and then his daughter wants a cheeseburger, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Lots of those little. Well, I'm with you completely, Michael, though, in that overwhelmingly my impression is just or like my feeling towards the MCU is just awe. This has never been done. It has just the number of challenges, the scope of it is just insane. And so the fact that it actually works and look, people have tried it since then. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Dark it's Universe. not an um, easy feat. No, to it's try to not. Do. No. What Marvel was able to do, and a lot of it, there are all kinds of reasons why they were able to pull it off, but to create these characters make them relatable, make them enduring, hook audiences to them, and then weave together 22 different plot lines, movies over a decade. It's just, this has never been done. It is 
so far has never been replicated. And it is just when you're sitting in the theater and watching it, I especially felt this during Infinity War. Endgame, I felt like once you've got Infinity War and you kind of know what that is, Endgame is just like, okay, don't mess it up now. You're 60% of the way there. You can make it the rest of the way. But I remember watching Infinity War and just being like, holy crap. This is so many characters. It's so much to juggle. Making any sort of movie with this kind of scale and budget that could so easily be too many cooks sort of situations, like studios pressure and all this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. letting creators create and letting them make unconventional choices, all this kind of stuff. The fact that they were able to do that on this scale and then bring it home, tie it off with a bow is, I can't overstate how difficult that is and they managed to do it and i'm just nothing but impressed pretty much yeah i will say i i I did genuinely enjoy infinity war and endgame and -hmm. like yeah maybe they were the ones that had a lot of the i'm not in the club i don't know what they're talking about but they they did get me and by the end of infinity war the climax of that movie didn't fatigue me the way that other climaxes have in marvel Mm -hmm. movies you know there's even like in spider-man homecoming which i really enjoyed I just kind of started zoning out when he's like chasing the stealth plane and like it's just I'm just kind of waiting for it to end at that point. It's like, yeah, now it's just like an endurance test until the movie can just be allowed to end. I love how Alex is defending himself and none of us are attacking you. Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to give those movie movies credit because I think I went into Infinity War actually expecting to really hate it because of all the aforementioned reasons. And I was surprised by like, oh, I had a really good time. And I actually... I didn't have a point in that movie where I was like, just please be over now. Like mm-hmm. I was with it till the end. Um, I think that there's other Marvel movies where I've, I've enjoyed less where it's really a third act problem. And we've talked right. about this, Michael, where it's, it just feels like there's just this, this necessary structure to all these movies. And now it's like basically all the main plot points and things that really pull you in are over. And there just has to be a final big thing that happens. But you know none of the main characters can die yet because, like, we still have, like, right. the next Avengers movie right. coming. They've announced the yeah, next five exactly. so, like, mm-hmm. so there's no stakes. It's just, right. like, we got to just spend some more time with, like, things bouncing around and not dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of get tired. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, that was something that, that bothered me with both uh, Avengers and Infinity War. I remember thinking way back when I saw Avengers... Uh, you have that moment where Iron Man goes up and sacrifices himself and then he falls to the earth and he lands and they all run over and you're like, oh man, they're killing off Iron Man. That's crazy. But also they had just announced Iron Man 3 about two weeks ago. <laughs> right. Um, right. And same with uh, same with Infinity War where it's like, how ballsy would it have been to be like, maybe all these people are dead? But it's like, no, you've already announced Black Panther and Spider-Man. Like, you've right. already announced that these characters are coming back. And unless they're all prequels, which would be really silly, uh, given how the MCU is structured. Um, like, that's, you know, so just just don't announce those movies yet. Or, uh, you know, like, let us spend a year going like, holy crap, are they going to like... Is this going to stand? Like, what? what's going to happen? Right. Well, well, what you're talking about is obviously we're in the movie business and we're, you know, whatever, huge nerds. So we read all of that stuff and all those announcements, but a lot of people don't. And a lot I think of- with the MCU, though, it becomes really common. It, like, like it was common knowledge that that um, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans were their contracts were up. Sure, exactly. And, and depending, though, but like, so I went into, as I do for movies I get really excited about, 
and Michael can relate to this because we've talked about it before, but like I go into like ostrich mode where I stop watching trailers <laughs> and I stop reading articles and I stop doing everything because I don't want to know. I want to go in and feel like there could be stakes. Even somebody like me is probably shouldn't do that for business reasons, but I, I, I just want to have that experience of watching it. And so I didn't read anything going into Infinity War. I didn't know it was the first half of a two-part story. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how it was going to end, what it was about, who Thanos was really. And, you know, and I'm sitting there with, again, my my same neighbor and his little sister. The sister was crying. I was crying. Like, we didn't know it was going to end in such a dark place. And... It, it really was devastating. And, you know, I kind of knew like, oh, these properties are way too valuable. Obviously, they just made Black Panther. They're going to make more. I knew that in my brain, but that doesn't mean I wasn't emotionally affected by it. And part of that was p- my sort of construction and hiding from that stuff. But a lot of people, it's just not on their radar at all. They don't read movie news. Right. I had yeah. kind of that similar like wake, wake up call because I feel like that's, mm-hmm. Brian, how I feel also of like, why would you say this? Like, why would you tell us there's going to be more if that pulls the rug out from all the stakes and that was basically the only problem i had with infinity war that ending where it was like it started to feel really emotional but then once i realized wait you're not killing spider-man you're not killing black yeah. panther mm-hmm. and it's like it robbed me of that like the full emotion because i had that meta awareness mm-hmm. but on the way out of the theater i was watching a mother console her three crying like middle school like kids yeah. right, right. <laughs> that like they were like but wait but black panther and, the, and then they were like yeah. really generally upset about it and it's like okay right like Probably most people that are seeing this don't know these things and don't think about it in this kind of meta film way. Right. Well, especially young, young people. Definitely. Especially yeah. Young yeah. People. But, but also the information is out there, though. So it's one thing if not everyone happens to follow that information. But it's another to say, well, if you do know this stuff and follow just one movie something on Twitter, then you're going to know this stuff. Why not just figure out how to make it so that nobody knows so mm-hmm. that and you know no matter how much research you want to do you have no idea whether these characters are ever coming back like and spend a year wondering that like that i, feel I like think is i would appreciate that yeah it was right. interesting i watched the the trailer for endgame today which i hadn't seen before at all mm. right, because i wanted to avoid spoilers right. and i was really impressed that it was like almost a spoiler free trailer right. it was like that yeah. was really i very much respect they did a very that. good job with that yeah yeah well and i'm actually shocked that at least in my feed, I don't know about your guys' feeds, but basically everyone has honored the Russo brother spoiler ban as far mm. as I can tell. I feel like I, I've, I didn't see anything. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen a, a spoiler warning take heated as much as well, this one Well, yeah, the internet where nothing is sacred, right. somehow Endgame is. Like, <laughs> everyone sort of read the, the Russo brothers mandate for no spoilers basically have honored it and seem like they're also heeding like okay so this is we're recording this on a sunday afternoon monday is when the ban is going to be lifted and so like it's weird to see the internet abiding by it out of respect for these filmmakers it's kind of cool in this day and age to see um yeah i don't know some kind of consensus that like this means something and and we are we respect it i don't know yeah. Good job, Internet. Yeah. Occasionally you do something right. As, especially <laughs> Very because, occasionally. Especially because of how tempting it has to be to f- post just a bunch of fat Thor gifts. Oh, I know. <laughs> right, right. I'm so oh, here for it. So it's great. like one of my favorite things about Endgame. <laughs> I love it so much. I feel like what I like about both Infinity War and Endgame is that they, I feel like they, 
you know, when you're making a Marvel film for the super white audience, there's a certain amount of playing it safe that you have to do and like conventional like beats you have to hit. But I feel like they also made strategic but like really bold choices in each of them. And like they do, like you were saying, Alex, go to like a surprisingly dark place. Right. And like I, I think I respect that they can be making like the most you know, conventional, widest appeal possible movie ever, mm-hmm. but also are allowed to and go for these like darker ideas and really push you to the place where you can actually be surprised and feel emotion. Cause like going in Endgame, it was like, okay, the three hour runtime, I was doing my like meta analysis preparing thing. Right. Like, okay, so you have to kind of tie up a little bit of Infinity War and then like press the reset button and then set up what's the like plot for this movie. And then there's that. And then there's like the finale. Okay. Those are the parts that you're going to have to do. Mm. So I kind of expected that that was going to be how it played out, but I was not expecting the first 10 minutes they chop off Thanos's head. Yeah. And then it's like five years later. Yeah. And uh, that was just such a brilliant for me on like a meta level way of like, Oh, well, I have no idea now what yeah. it's going to be. That's always a good feeling in a movie to say, I, I don't know what's happening now. Yeah. yeah. And I was not expecting yeah. to feel that so soon especially in that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to criticize if this movie, I think one of the things is that there are some, and I think they're bold choices. And I think overall the movie still really works, but there's a pretty, there's some pretty sharp tonal switches here in terms of what this movie is. So like you have the first third of it. That's this really dark, sad, I'm on the verge of tears the entire time, like, you know, where half the world is devastated and five years have passed. And it's really that first third of it is it doesn't even feel like a superhero movie. It just feels like this drama. And then the middle part is this goofy time heist. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah, Ant-Man's in charge now? Okay. Like, it's great. And then the last third is this epic battle. And so, which is also like aesthetically very stark because exactly. like, I didn't really like the setting of the battle just because it was, but yeah, continue. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's just the, there's these, this clear sort of like, this is almost three different movies tonally. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, I think they stitch it together well, but it, I don't know if it's what I would have done were I the Russos or in charge. Yeah, Kevin it's, a, it's a really tricky thing. I mean, I think I did like and that Endgame was more fun in general than Infinity War. Infinity War was kind of a gloomy movie overall, even though Endgame starts on such a... But it felt more cohesive. Sure. But it was co- it was cohesive of gloominess. <laughs> where, <laughs> um, and, and we're dealing with a very, very rough subject matter, obviously, yeah. you know, and that's why Endgame starts the way it does. But it's also like... Yeah, I'm sorry, but when I go to a comic book movie, I want to have some fun. I want to mm-hmm. enjoy myself and not just be like, man, everyone's really sad. Um, <laughs> so I did appreciate the time heist, but I but I did have a similar feeling of just like, yeah, there's so many different things going on. It's something they had to start with Infinity War. Like, yep. now there's Guardians on the screen, so like, let's make it kind of, let's bring the music in and make it goofy. And then now this is happening. And uh, and again, for how much craziness they're, they're, they are sewing together, it yeah. is really impressive, but... It still does sometimes feel like this is the same movie as we were watching 20 minutes ago. Yeah, Captain America fighting himself. And then you have like, yeah, exactly. The very, very dark. Like that went, we went from there to like Black Widow sacrifices herself on Cormier. And you're just like, whoa, hold up. There's a line in the uh, in the final battle where uh, Scarlet Witch says whatever to Thanos, and he says, yeah. "I don't even know who you are." And, and, <laughs> and my friend and I talked about it afterwards, and we were like, because of the s- shifting tones of the movie, we had we literally had no idea whether that was a joke or not, mm. like whether yeah. it was supposed to be funny or whether it was supposed to be like really belittling. Is it meta or yeah. is it <laughs> right? Yeah, mm. exactly. and, and it's unfortunate because it's like you kind of had the the result in the theater, people being like, "Ha, uh, huh? 
Like, yeah, am I yeah. supposed to feel like, ooh, like this is whatever? And then especially Elizabeth Olsen's acting. So then she's like crying. She's like, you will. Like, I was like, oh, wow. Like at that <laughs> moment, I thought it was really impressive. But up until that moment, I'm like, oh, is that a joke? Is this, are we having fun again? No, I'm not sure. And that's the mm -hmm. unfortunate thing about doing so much in a movie is that you kind of, the audience doesn't know like how to feel at different times. It's hard to stay oriented sometimes. Yeah. Where, because yeah. you're, you're doing this super goofy sort of heist thing and the the whole like heist during the first Avengers movie where they're like existing right. within that, which mm -hmm. I loved and thought was really fun. I mean, heist movie, like it's my favorite genre of movie pretty much. And so I was like, oh, yay, yay, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, the Hulk like hits Tony Stark on his way out of the building, which I realized was the first time sort of any of them get like pummeled by the Hulk as like just a human. Mm, um, just accidentally. Yeah, exactly. And Anyway, so th that there's that, and then I don't remember what I was saying before this. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, d I did think it was funny that they said, "Oh, you got all your time travel knowledge from Back to the Future," and then the movie was literally Back to the Future back too, back to the future. where it was just we're walking in the background as they're doing the thing from the first. Movie. I remember, I remember. So then, the, yeah, so then Tony Stark. So you go from that to Tony Stark talking to his father, mm -hmm. and again, that's supposed to carry all this emotional weight. Kind of it does, but you're not sure if you're supposed to be laughing or not. Right. Yeah, it's the same like it kind had, of feel. Like intellectually, I was like, oh, this has emotional weight, but I'm not feeling it. But right. I know mm. that I'm supposed to be so cool, but like I'm not in it in that same yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. That's, Endgame did that a lot for me. Once we got past the initial like just undeniably heavy stuff at the beginning, it was just it was like, OK, this scene is serving the function of tying up tony's you know daddy issues and this scene is serving this function and like i, I was like this is very impressive all these <laughs> things are doing all the things and i just don't know if there's any other better way to do that if you want to do yeah. it all in one movie i mean right. i don't know yeah. if you can actually put an audience into a unconscious like cathartic experience like with that many ups and downs crammed together yeah yeah i personally find it difficult to sit down and read a narrative fiction book Nonfiction, I have no trouble with, but when I'm reading fiction, for some reason, I end up getting really distracted and I find it hard to stay connected to the story. But when I listen to an audiobook version, I immediately get hooked and I'm absorbed into the world of the story. This is just one of the many reasons I love Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, both fiction and nonfiction, that includes bestsellers, business, self-improvement, memoirs, news, comedy, and so much more. And now, Audible members get more than ever. Members choose three titles every month. One audiobook, plus two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. And with the convenient app, members can get access to Audible anytime. At the gym, while commuting, on the go, and on any device. It always picks up right where you left off. If you're craving even more Marvel, there's a ton of Marvel-related content on Audible. Like the audiobook, Marvel's Avengers Infinity War... Thanos, which tells the origin story of Thanos and how he came to be consumed by his quest for power. To get started, just visit audible.com slash screenplay or text screenplay to 500-500. You'll get a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. So once again, visit audible.com slash screenplay or text screenplay to 500-500 to get started and to let Audible know you came from our show. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Well, that's almost where, like, like I feel like both of these movies, like, are they movies? Mm. Like, they feel they, like there's something right. else. Well, I, honestly, they feel like this weird, yeah, hybrid 
TV show thing, but like the TV show is just massively inflated budget and kind of smushed into these three hour chunks. Yeah. It, I don't know. There's something weird well, about yeah. it. Yeah. That's an interesting. I love that question. Are these movies? And yeah. because we've never had anything like them, it's hard to, I don't know. That I, I love that question. I'm not sure I know the answer. <laughs> I, I do remember going way back to Iron Man 1, walking out of the theater and saying, I never, I think the first time I've walked out of a movie feeling like I just watched the first episode of something mm. and not mm-hmm. a movie. And that now that feels like a cool thing because of what it became. But at the time, I just felt kind of unsatisfied. I felt like, okay, I didn't feel like I watched enough of a thing, you know? And I think that, I think that was kind of the problem with Age of Ultron a little too was, oh, oh it's, yeah. it's a second Avengers movie. And it was like, no, but it just feels like it's setting up more of this world and we're mm-hmm. not really finishing these stories and i think that's the downside of of this and that's why it feels like the most epic television show of all time that you're watching you know every episode comes out of several months apart and it's two hours long and you should see <laughs> yeah. it in the theater um yeah and and now we just had like the the season finale before you know yeah. we see what happens next week but it, but it was it was a strange feeling to just sort of go to these movies and be like okay that was cool but i feel like now i'm I feel like just sort of as teased as I did satisfied and I, and not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of my major problems with these movies is cause, and I think it's just an expectations game of like, when I go to a movie theater and see a movie just historically, and maybe for kids now, this is not what the expectation is. But for me, it's like, you see like the first X-Men movie or the dark Knight, or you know, just, these are complete movies that then can have a sequel, but you are given a closed experience in and of itself. And I think somewhere in the middle of phase two or I don't know what I was yeah. track of the phases. I feel like every movie I was seeing in this series was really not, it didn't give me any of that. It was like, yeah. you're picking up things that I don't really remember from previous movies at the beginning that I'm supposed to know the references, but I don't get it. And then the ending is just like, but now this like right. stay for after the credits and i like wait so what actually happened like i don't remember what i don't what even happened in like winter soldier or age of ultron like and they lifted up a city and dropped it or something like, <laughs> I, like I don't know what even happened like what are these movies yeah well i think it's it's also interesting the other I, what i also find fascinating about this 10 11 year experiment that they did is that it kind of it happened as there was this handoff happening where like dramatic character driven stuff moved to television. Like that's not in movies anymore. And movies became like superhero films, but like there's also this weird like hybridization where like now TV shows like game of Thrones or whatever, Mm -hmm. more cinematic than like some movies are. And now vice versa, where there's like the Marvel cinematic universe where like, if you haven't seen the previous episodes, you're not going to get the finale. And like, Mm -hmm. so just, it's a weird place that we're in and i feel like at the the rise of this cinematic universe kind of tracks that transition in the handoff of yeah. i mean it'll swap. be interesting to see what happens at, you know now that this can be a thing and this can be done um it can't be done by anybody without a lot of money but <laughs> yes. we are at a place now where more than ever you know somebody like netflix or amazon doesn't have maybe quite the budget that they would have, you know, that Marvel currently has or whatever. Um, they don't have $350 million lying around to spend on a movie. <laughs> uh, but we're getting to a place where a creative and ambitious studio that was really willing to invest in some cool creators, good characters, probably some IP because they want some, like 
they really could maybe do this again. And obviously Marvel is not hanging up its spurs or anything like that. Marvel's going to keep doing it and they have a lot of properties. They can do it forever. Um, and so why wouldn't they? They're printing money. Mm. Um, but it's, <laughs> it is, it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes because we could have somebody actually do like a TV cinematic universe and just confined within its own like TV worlds. Well, TV, which Marvel did. D- yeah, distribution platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they the do. Netflix Marvel, for yeah, instance. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Game so, of Thrones is kind of trying to do that. Yeah. yeah. With the spinoff mm-hmm. series. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously DC's in the game, doing the best it can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're trying. They're, <laughs> just hang on to Wonder Woman. Maybe yeah. you'll get there. You'll get there. And, you know, Universal's if we can for now out of the game. Else. Universal's out of the game for now because they made some missteps. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, M. Night Shyamalan took his most, his two yeah, most mediocre movies. Exactly. And, and sequelize them together. <laughs> you know what? He really tried. Yeah. And Star Wars, but it feels sure. like maybe they're like cooling their jets a little bit. Well, I'm really now. ready for Star Wars to like stop shoving every movie up against one of the original trilogy. Like, I'm yes. just, right. just tell yes. me it's brand new. Something, I'm like, give yes. me something new, which is yeah. why I was so excited at first for Ryan Johnson's potential trilogy. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. it seems like that's on hold. But look, right. Disney's not going to stop making. Yeah. And The Mandalorian is coming, which I'm excited yeah, about. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'll be fascinated. Oh, wait, wrong to Disney see. franchise. Back to my <laughs> be fascinated to see. Everything is Disney. <laughs> I'm stoked about the future where we are starting to reimagine and and open our imaginations, blow up our imaginations about what we're going to be doing. I mean, Kevin Feige said this in an interview that I was reading. You really are sort of re-educating or or educating an audience or an audience inviting an audience to learn what they might be able to consider a story to be or a movie to be, which is sort of the conversation we were having. Is this a movie? Maybe it is. Maybe we need to expand our definition of what movie means in the way that if you've ever seen a giant sequoia, it kind of expands your definition of the word tree <laughs> in a way that you, you you can't understand until you're standing at the base of it. Yeah. Endgame, the giant sequoia. <laughs> the name of this podcast. When it, I think it's also interesting how it ties into like technology and like the role that technology has played yeah. in making cinematic things cheaper to make. And but also, you know, Netflix now everyone can stream things and how, you know, Netflix 10 years ago isn't what it was today. And so, like, I, I think it's just it's interesting how all these things interplay because I think it's I always like to rem- you know remind myself that film is an art form, but like is directly tied to the technology behind yes. it. And like, as technology changes, it changes the medium and even like, you know, YouTube, YouTube began as a crazy thing, but it spawned all these new mediums of like storytelling Mm -hmm. or like shows where we watch people play video games or we watch 12 minute video essays. And like, so it's, it's interesting watching those ripple effects now taking place on the like the massive like big stage of like mm-hmm. the hugest films and the hugest tv series and well and it's very fascinating and you know the spider-man homecoming video we did was part of a youtube cinematic universe <laughs> in a way right, right. so it's meta you know i'm i don't watch a lot of like fictional youtube channels but you could do this yeah. you could create a cinematic universe in YouTube, yeah, there, it's there my are idea. fiction sure podcasts. There, yeah. there are fiction <laughs> podcasts and things like that. Like exactly, you can, you can tell stories anywhere you want these days. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, on the topic of technology, though, I do find some of the CG problematic sometimes. I remember yeah. both Iron Man and Incredible Hulk being like, it was really interesting because you hire these art artsy directors almost, like or mm. indie directors to make these movies. So then you find you end up having like really nice 
character work and sort of shots and aesthetics. And then at the end, it's just two CG giants throwing buses at each other. And I'm like, I just don't care. Mm-hmm. And and that was one thing I didn't like about the battle scene in Endgame was they were going for a little just bigger is better kind of thing. It was like, oh, Captain Marvel had kind of the exact same entrance as Thor did in the previous movie, but like she just broke a ship with her body. And then like Ant-Man punches one of the giant Chitari slugs in the face. And I'm like, but story, like it's impressive to look at and it makes you kind of giggle and go like, that's really funny uh, or fun, I should say. But from a story perspective, there's no difference between a hundred foot tall Ant-Man punching a flying slug than there is a guy punching another guy. So it's like, you have to have the story weight underneath it to sort of support that, I think. Um, so I just I just felt a little... And then once eight-legged Spider-Man hitched a ride on Thor's hammer to then fl- <laughs> land on a winged horse and fly away, I was like, guys. <laughs> I mean, I kind of just went with it at that point. Yeah. Once like once like a thousand portals opened up yeah. and yeah. everybody from every movie ever appeared, it was just like, okay, this is what this is. This is just going to be... Yeah, the all reservoir the, dog showed up. Yeah, just was... every single thing you've ever seen in all of these movies is now going to just be together on screen into a big mash and you just enjoy it for 20 minutes. And I think it's minutes. why yeah. uh, Civil War, I think, why a lot of people liked it so much, uh, or at least for me, is it was more practical effects. There's a lot of practical yeah. stuff done, stunts and yeah, everything. Yeah. And most of the characters you're seeing are human beings and not cartoons, basically. Whereas like something like Endgame, of course, it's just like a n- maniac whatever just like <laughs> i mean it's just it's almost like an acid trip it was just you yeah. know winged horse and burning yeah. you know burning hellscape and yeah. just things flying everywhere yeah but that was like the most fun i've had in a movie theater though and <laughs> like like years that, like i feel like something happened like basically the on your left happened <laughs> no, no, it was before. I'm what is this gonna... on your left thing? Alex so, doesn't know what you're talking about. So Why is it so amazing? Captain America, the Winter Soldier, <laughs> I think it was, which I didn't like. Well, anyway, but it's basically <gasps> like his, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> Falcon, the guy that Captain uh-huh. America gives his like shield to at the end. Uh-huh. When Sam they Wilson. first meet, yeah. it's like the the Falcon guys like running laps around the like oh, monument. And right. Captain America I, run by. I the, vaguely remember this. And, like, yes, yes, yes. Teasing, yes, yes. this is our rapport. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's what that is. But basically, I feel like as soon as, so it like, you know, the final stand where it's like Captain America and he's going to like fight Thor or Thanos, whatever, by himself. But then like when he got Thor's hammer, I feel like something broke in my brain oh, and I no. was just a child again. And oh, it was good. just like pure giddiness of like, oh my God, Captain America's holding Thor's hammer. That means he's worthy. Like all just like <laughs> the fanboy, the, like exactly what they wanted me to feel. Suddenly I was just like, mush in their hands in the last 20 minutes and i think that's the tricky thing is that if you don't feel that then it can be like sort of separate and i i'm the i'm not the guy to sit there just looking for things to be grumpy about it's not that as much as it was just like yeah okay i'm enjoying this i'm having a fun time but i'm also not as like riveted and just glued to the screen as everyone else so i'm going to notice when something is like extra silly and not just be like on board with it yeah and and for that reason i think that Infinity War works a little better for me just because of its cohesion, as we mentioned earlier, where you are juggling all of these different plot lines. But essentially in Infinity War, they managed to split everybody up in a really effective way that I think maintains a lot of, um, I'm going to say the word verisimilitude. But which is silly in a superhero movie. <laughs> but I just think the characters were able to have more time to breathe and do and 
develop as characters and have their own sort of stakes, their own sort of plot line in a way that I think created more emotional resonance in that movie than you're able. You just don't have time in in Endgame, you're just, you have all of this plot. You just have to sort of like rush through and it still takes three hours, but there's that much plot that you have to do. And you have to spend some emotional time with a handful of these characters. You have to have some with Black Widow and Hawkeye, unfortunately. Come on. I'm sorry. Is he anybody's favorite Avenger? <laughs> I was he just a little, has a family. Listen, if Hawkeye is your favorite Avenger, tweet at me. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about it and what I mean, I mean the, the Ronin version of Hawkeye, I think, is kind of badass. I like that he's sort sure, of the anti-Avenger, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I could get him more with Ronin. He just I has way too much to do uh, in this Annoyed, movie. like, on a meta level, because I feel like twice now they used the, like, Hawkeye's gonna die fake out, Ugh. or, like, I feel like mm. Ultron was, like, all about, like... Hawkeye's we're gonna, gonna kill die. Hawkeye and then like <laughs> he doesn't at the end and I was like okay that's like a legitimate l- legitimate surprise and then they were doing it again with this one and I was like okay you can't do it twice we know like yeah. of course you're gonna kill Hawkeye like stop wasting my time yeah and then they didn't <laughs> but yeah I mean it's like Hawkeye. the thing about that final <laughs> battle is you're holding what 30 characters or something more maybe you know and so you're just like there's nothing we can do. We're just going to have these tiny little moments as much as we can to make you cheer and make make you smile maybe, but we're not going to have the time that we had in something like Infinity War where there were it was concentrated enough or focused enough on these different characters that they actually managed to have arcs. Um and so I, I liked the movie better. For, I liked Infinity War better for that reason, but I don't know how you could have done Endgame any different. Right, I don't I, I basically think Endgame is one of the best case scenarios for for sure for what endgame is you yes. know like i think i really can't fault it because i don't know how else you do this and i don't think you can have a final battle with how many characters yeah <laughs> a lot. 30 characters character. yeah and have anything really land that heavy except for maybe with a couple of the really main guys like tony stark but yeah. right you know this is what it is well the tricky thing is not once you have 30 characters how do you do that battle scene it's do you make that movie in the first place like do you maybe not try to make a movie with that many characters but again, what, why, why else does endgame exist but to be that I, I, absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and i think that for me it's like when we when i saw avengers one it was like oh that's a lot of characters in a movie which now feels right. like child right. yeah. but i really liked how, i remember feeling that way too yeah i really totally. liked how focused it was and they were all communicating with each other so it felt like they were this one protagonist even though they had their own stories uh, and then now but then they were pushing the envelope then, and now they've pushed the envelope even more. And and I like that Endgame was the end of this chapter, so yeah. that it's not, now the next movie we're going to get 70 characters who <laughs> you have to know all about. Like, that's not what it was. It was like, okay, guys, we... We've spent 11 years doing this. Let's just go crazy. And then we can now we, Spider-Man right. far from home. Like, let's yeah. take it down yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's um, smart. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like smart planning and plotting um, of this entire saga. I'm, I'm very impressed you know, overall. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about Kevin Feige and his sort of vision for this whole thing mm-hmm. and, and, and entrusting the audience to go with it. And then also giving us a break when we need it and like, give us a smaller movie, give us something that's like a teen comedy you know well and i think i think for me i i'm i was actually impressed by how they juggled having all those characters because i think at first coming off of infinity war i was sort of expecting pretty soon everybody's back and now we're following them all as they're fighting thanos again but i think it was really cool that they kind of got everybody else out of the way so that they could spend time with kind of the original protagonists of it right and that like in the midst of this battle captain america Thor, Iron Man have their like 
big moments that like, mm-hmm. and I think even just, again, kind of on a meta level, I'm always thinking about like, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man started it. So he's kind of like he has to the it. like protagonist, like main person, but also Captain America's the captain. And so he's kind of like, if there wasn't Iron Man, I feel like he would be like the main protagonist. And I thought they juggled having to give each of them their like hero moments in a really like elegant way mm-hmm. where it didn't feel like too much. And I think each of them got to do their thing and wrap up their stories really nicely in a way that didn't like butt heads and actually kind of complemented each other and kind of resolved their conflict. Well, I feel like the way their their total stories ended, their true final endings for both mm-hmm. of them did feel perfect to me. You know, that was probably the best possible way to to do it. And I think Tony Stark having the daughter, at first I was like, oh, is this going to just be that thing where it's like, now he has a kid. But it was like, I, I got into it and I'm like, oh, I'm really actually touched by this and I want him to be okay and I get why he doesn't want to go back and join the Avengers again because he has a other thing to live for now. Well, it really like, worked. I feel like that's another example of like a bold move of like, right. we know we're going to kill Iron Man in this movie and we're going to give him a kid right. also. Like, yeah, I, like... I, I did appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And, you know, because one thing I was thinking about, you know, why am I not into this universe so much? And I think the reason I liked... It's because you have no soul. besides that besides that um i think it is just the tone a lot of the time where it does feel like yeah it's a no stakes universe it's a bouncy physics doesn't exist like literally in an end game like they like nuclear bombed the building everybody was in yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) just pull it george w bush there um i mean i mean they literally that like ship like so fully decimated with like massive fireball atom bomb explosion and then everybody survived like it just i mean like nothing matters and i think that tone i just get kind of annoyed with after a while Mm -hmm. and i think i i like the idea of the cinematic universe and i think i get fatigued in a no stakes cinematic universe like i think i would be really excited to see another epic thing like this attempted where somehow they get around that problem of you know everything's going to be fine in every single movie because there's these next movies planned out. Mm-hmm. And because I, I disengage when I, when I just feel like there's no, there's no way this can really go wrong. It's just going to work out every single time. Execs at Marvel. Uh, Alex is available. You guys can. <laughs> He's got well, some I, ideas. I don't think, I don't think, I've, I mean, I don't think it's a Marvel thing. I think it'd be like, I would love to see like a really hard, you know, I'm a big sci-fi fan. Why can't we have like a really hard, science fiction universe that where, where there's real stakes and real things can happen and you feel invested i guess i also wonder if that's just necessarily not possible with the kind with the way with what movies are in some ways because kind of you know thinking about game of thrones which is also ending right now and we won't mm-hmm. talk about any spoilers obviously um but th- that i think there is just a certain point in a story where you know, as stories exist currently, after this point, you know what's going to happen or, you know, like one of two things will happen. I think that's like you were saying earlier with Spider-Man, like the third act fatigue I always had also in Marvel films of like, okay, well, now we know this is the setup for the final thing and now they're going to fight and they're going to live. So now we're just hanging out until they're done fighting and then the movie's over. And I think when stretched out to like such a massive scale, like something like this or like Game of Thrones, like if the third act has to be stretched out over such a long period of time, like how do you maintain stakes when there's a specific 
like ending that it's like hurtling toward. And I, it's, I think it's just, it's a very intense challenge. And I, I almost wonder if it's possible to overcome. And I think that's, I think for well, me, once I, I got an end game, what they were going to do as soon as they were like, we're going to like time travel. I was like, okay, so that's what this movie is. We're going to, this is a movie that's fun. We're going to have fun. Yeah, and then yeah, you're going to yeah, wrap yeah. it up. Totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a really interesting Challenge, well, I think, I think speaking of Game of Thrones, I think that's maybe just what I'm talking about is, yeah, they last couple seasons, they've been very scared, it seems to kill off main characters. But for the first half of that series, you really didn't know what was going to happen. It, nothing was sacred. You know, this world was so brutal. You didn't really have any expectation of what could work out or not work out storyline wise. So I, I was just saying that I'm not opposed to the idea of this massive cinematic universe world building thing. I think I just I don't get into this particular one because even within the movie, even if you know they're going to survive, even the way the action plays out, it is just a it's a certain type of comic book movie. It's not the Dark Knight. It's very bouncy, very colorful, very everything can blow up and nothing can survive. And yet everybody is fine, you know, kind of action movie. I, I did feel like I expected more people to die just like through just general battle collateral you know it was like right. everyone mm. died speaking of game like, of thrones uh, right yes I, and, and I, I was thinking that too or not to spoil anything about the battle of winter winterfell but it's like winterfell um but it's like for as much as okay sure there are characters who have their death moments and stuff like nobody seems to just die because like hey there's a giant battle going on. endgame had a lot of just two people in the middle of the battlefield having a conversation and i'm like right. yeah. why why are none of the bad guys being yeah. like hey let's go kill those two guys who aren't paying any attention but, to the battle but it's okay i mean i think once again that's what marvel is you know and i i mm-hmm. you, it's okay to be that you know, i think marvel that's their aesthetic choice is that we can have a jokey conversation in the middle of a battle and we don't worry about about it being realistic you know um i would just be more into a more realistic universe is probably what i'm getting at i think marvel does what it does especially well um i agree with you a couple of things i want to say here thing number one is that i like the jokey version of marvel and i overall credit marvel's dominance over the dc universe to its um comedic tone overall i mean like you you, you watch the first couple avengers movies the joss whedon ones and they're really funny and someone asked me recently that is not a superhero movie fan why do you like marvel movies and obviously it's a loaded question coming from someone who is anti joy, uh, but like, yeah. Uh, why do you like Super Marvel movies? And I was like, they're funny. Like yeah. uh, that's a big reason I think people like them. And, and that was started with the first Iron Man, that, that tone of like, we are going to crack jokes and we're going to be funny. And um, those first two Avengers movies are really funny. And and they, that's why I love Thor Ragnarok. I, was I like, love I, Thor Ragnarok. That is how irreverent. That's one of my favorites. And the Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. They're mm-hmm. funny movies. And I think that's why people love Marvel. Uh, DC has not figured out how to laugh at itself yet mm-hmm. in a way that I, I've, I've heard Aquaman is better at that. I haven't seen it, but yeah. Well, even if it isn't just like, funny just like make it fun to be in the theater watching that movie right the interesting thing about the dc universe is i think everyone's trying to be nolan's batman trilogy right and they looked at the batman trilogy and went okay it's dark in tone (laughs) and it's realistic in terms of like there aren't really superpowers and that kind of even if there are like unbelievable circumstances there aren't really super superpowers and they were like well what if we made it dark in tone but superhero and it's like no you took the you wrong parts of it yeah. right. <laughs> and it's like right. like you know you almost want to do the opposite and be like oh it's i can't wrap my brain around what the opposite would be but anyway <laughs> um yeah. but it's like they took the wrong 
starting point from Nolan and then went with it and just like, what if we made it really dark, but also people are throwing buildings at each other? And I'm like, that doesn't like make right. sense. Well, it yeah. demonstrates a lack of knowledge about the origin of those characters. Not that I think that the DC execs don't know who their characters are, but you know, you have Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and, and the Flash, all these guys um, from the Justice League, and they come from a different era of comic book writing. They are older characters. They are they were born in a time when they were the first superheroes that ever existed. And so they were invincible. They are goddesses. They are aliens. They have all of these powers. And they literally are immortal. And so that was, and that was what like American audiences were craving. So sort of during the golden age of comics and then when american readers wearied of that or when there was this disillusionment then you come to this age that's sort of known as the silver age of comics and that's really when marvel was born where it was like what if we had a character that was a normal high schooler and was dealing with normal stuff and then suddenly he also had superpowers and so it demonstrates this like dc hasn't figured out a way to humanize it's heroes and it feels like it doesn't work anymore and i think there would be a way to humanize those like gods and immortals and stuff like that in a way that could feel cathartic and i think that's what allows marvel to be more self-aware about its heroes and find their humanity a little bit better and also allows them to be a little playful with it where it's like isn't it hilarious spider-man's gonna miss his test like it it allows us to blur that line and, and acknowledge the absurdity of superheroes and find their humanity at the same time that DC just, it's sort of saddled by its own, like the, its own history in some ways. Um, I feel like they did DC it with execs hire me. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Wonder Woman is like this shining example of like, okay, she's a God and like, I'm not worried that she's going to die at any point, but like the things she's dealing with, do resonate and like her she has an arc that feels very human and like yeah but then they said it during world war one everyone's least favorite war like you're not wrong not a funny war either like they did try to be they not a funny war (laughs) (laughs) trisha was showing us her notebook earlier yeah her list of wars by funniness (laughs) you can't can't have a least favorite month but you can have a least favorite war okay we're not gonna get into this here (laughs) guys michael hates the month of october i'm just letting you know i do (laughs) but yeah like i don't know I, i liked i liked wonder woman i thought they did a nice job with it but and they tried to lean into some of the absurdity of the, the, all the like the insane amount of power her mate her opponent is another god it's like you have the goddess fighting a god and it's world war two one <laughs> i don't know it, it simply doesn't work yeah, you can't but, but laugh at that i will say i will say to your point michael not about comedy but about uh stakes is her the stakes of Wonder Woman weren't about her dying; it was about her saving mm. human life, and I think that was nice because yeah, totally. you can care about that. You might not care, like you know, if every time Loki dies, I'm like, well, maybe you know. <laughs> like, I was surprised he didn't come back. I was honestly <laughs> Wait, surprised. He's really dead. I I really resonated with Wonder Woman for that reason yeah. because yeah, the stakes were not attached to the superheroes; attached to the civilians, and mm-hmm. and you and they did a pretty good job of making you actually care about the civilians which is not normal for a superhero movie usually it's just nameless you know buildings collapsing when i like that it, it was like a, a nice moral quandary also of like yeah. things aren't black and white like maybe all humans aren't good like maybe there's evil in everybody like i, I think that's a really cool lesson and a kind of lesson that can be done especially well in a superhero 
like movie and a storyline. So I really appreciate that. I think that's why I also liked Civil War because I feel like the, mm. the question inherent in that is kind of an unanswerable question that we have to try to answer. And I, What was the question in that? It's basically, it's the one where like, they want to like provide oversight and control where like the Avengers go and like answer to governments. And so it's like, is it better to have restrictions? But like, the government in this world has been pretty corrupt before so like and cap is trying to protect bucky from the government so iron man has to go and save bucky (laughs) can we talk about bucky for a minute a very brief minute so hold on like so he was like he was like in the first captain america for a hot second right like he was like his friend back in the day it was like two-thirds of the movie was it okay How do I not remember anything about him? He's like, he keeps he keeps coming back, and he's he's like even in like the tags of certain movies, like end of Black Panther. It's like Bucky's there, and I just have never understood like what he represents or why like Captain America is so in love with him or what like what's happening. Of of all the handsome white men in the MCU, he's like the (laughs) twentieth most. Right, so you're just you're gonna yeah yeah. I think he is important to Captain America. I don't think the first film. Because they like grew up together, and I feel like it's symbolic of him wanting to be friends. You, Alex, Alex. Though, in that he's he often comes across as not much more than a plot device, right? To get I, Cap right. to do something. We need contrary. we need right. Cap to do something. Here's Bucky kind of being annoying, yeah. and so now Cap has to go do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the cool I thing agree. about Civil War was to make Cap, who's the Goody Two Shoes character, be kind of the bad guy. I mean, in, yeah, in the sense of like Iron Man, who is more the normal like irreverent character he's the one who's like no we we are in charge right. and we have to go do this and cap's like but i'm protecting my friend and i thought that was a really nice twist and sort of the unexpected version of things yeah and civil war impresses me just in its i don't know just in how it is sort of dealing with real world issues in a way it's like okay government oversight let's talk about that which right. if you said those two words to a 12 year old they'd be like we're watching a movie about what <laughs> like right but it actually manages to work in that I love the idea of you have to try to split the Avengers and and really put them on opposite sides of this real issue they can't work out between themselves. Um, And I think it it works super well in that movie and created a lot of a through line of distrust and division that we saw repercussions of all the way through to the end of Endgame where they had to like make their peace. You know, Cap and Tony have always had problems with each other. Um, they came to a head in Civil War and it was not really ever resolved until Endgame. And I thought that's really smart writing. Mm-hmm. You know, take two people who see the world in completely different ways, lock them together, let them fight it out. Um, I don't know. We've talked about that kind of like uh, very, very close contained conflict before. And in a movie with this spectacle and the stakes as high as this one, it's, it's good, smart screenwriting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and just before we wrap up, I think with Captain America, I did like, again, knowing going in that he and um, Iron Man weren't going to be continuing. Right. Um, I thought, okay, well, you know, they probably just kill him in the battle. And I really liked that, first of all, they gave Iron Man a satisfying, complete ending yes. where it, you know, it wasn't just he died because he looked the wrong way. It was like, no, he sacrificed himself to save everybody. But then to have 
Captain America not die, but to actually go back and get to have his I dance with Peggy, it. you know, that he wanted mm-hmm. out of the first movie and then have him have that ending. I thought that's really nice because even going into a movie knowing the actors aren't going to continue, I was still surprised with mm-hmm. how they handled it. Right. And I thought like that was, um, that just, yeah, made me happy. And I felt like a really satisfying ending. It's really beautiful. And the fact that I didn't see it coming just made me it, that much more endearing. It was like, of course we have, we have time travel. Let, let Cap go back to where he belongs and where he started and be with his love. You know, you, you have that image of him carrying her casket and it's just like, oh my god and he missed it and and then he doesn't have to miss it it's so it's the only satisfying ending that you could imagine for that character and i also i like the handoff i'm curious to see what they're going to do with it of the character and the shield and that whole thing so i really wanted to like that i felt like i was supposed to i feel like at least it wasn't bucky (laughs) at least it wasn't bucky (laughs) that's True. Bucky. Okay. I feel better about it now, actually. <laughs> By comparison. I feel like it was... I I think maybe because as soon as I saw... As soon as there was the time travel element, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And like, and like Cap was like looking at her when they're back. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. he's, he's got to like... That's got to be the ending. So I think I just wasn't ready for old Cap to show up and have his like... You didn't like that? I... I I think I was just distracted by it. I think because it wasn't following what I expected. And then it was like, okay, the CGI is good. But like, is it, is that really, I just. There's a lot of Michael brain problems happening here. It just pulled me out of it. And I was super into it up until that point. I feel like I would have liked, he goes in the time machine. They're like, where is he? And then we just get that last moment with him. Oh, you didn't want Cap to be there. Yeah. But that's a little, little thing. I'll forgive that one. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. So why don't we go around and talk about lessons that we're going to take from all of this <laughs> like somehow somehow 22 like, movies yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i think there's there's so much to to think about and kind of extract but i, th- I think maybe even big picture wise you know all the things we've been talking about of what is storytelling moving forward mm. what are the things that we are interested in that resonate that don't resonate um yeah i think just now that we're at the end of this Marvel chapter, what are things that, that we're going to take away from this experience? And also tell us your favorite Avenger. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Iron Man, I think is probably... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Black Panther's really cool now. But I feel like of the like original Avengers, I feel like Iron Man is like, that's who I would want to be. I want to have tech stuff. I want to be in an impenetrable suit that can just do everything. There's AI that can just take care of stuff. I like Iron Man. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the lesson that I'm kind of arriving at is that, yeah, storytelling, I think we're witnessing storytelling and storytelling mediums evolving. And I think at a certain point during the Marvel Cinematic Universe thing, I was very fatigued with it and kind of annoyed by that and was like, this isn't this isn't what a movie is. This isn't why I go to the movie theaters. And now at the end of it, I'm like, no, this is what a movie is. And this is why I go to the movie theaters now. And like TV does its thing. And these movies do these things. And it's, I'm, I think I'm just kind of like, it was a nice kind of a wake up call to like times are changing. This is what it is. And so like be open to it and find the things that, that they are doing well. Because I think, again, like no movies like this have ever been made. And so I think there are new lessons to be extracted from them that haven't been put into screenwriting books yet and don't follow the the normal structures. So I think 
you can be annoyed with it and exhausted by all of it. And I'm 100% understanding of that. But I think there's also interesting things to mine from them. Trisha? I'm going to go, my favorite Avenger has changed. My original favorite Avenger was the Hulk. Um, but I don't like Professor Hulk. I'm sorry. He's not. Oh, he's not. like yeah, smart it, Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cute. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. He was... I mean, it takes away the conflict of what Hulk yeah, is. Yeah, it does. It, like, but I know they've done it in the comics, there's no, so. Now there's there's no that, that like inner darkness and like torment mm. that made Hulk so sexy is not there anymore. <laughs> um, so now I guess it's Thor. Uh, and I credit I credit that mainly to Taika Waititi and, and Thor Ragnarok. Um, just love it so much. A couple different things super fast. One is what I was trying to say earlier that I worry I, I didn't articulate very well. And it's the the juggling of real internal character conflict because I read this a lot from people when they're talking about their love for the MCU and they're saying like the characters are human even when they're kind of not they are dealing with real human conflict they're worried about their relationships they're worried about their jobs essentially and they're they're worried about each other um and I think that it works really well it it helps balance out the absurdity of them being super then in that other way um so there's that and then also, mainly just like, I'm reading a lot of screenplays. I'm judging a screenplay competition. And so I'm reading a lot of screenplays by young writers. And one of the things that really delights me when I see it is writers who are thinking really big. Um, you know, they're short scripts that I'm reading. And most of them are these little dramas. And and these scripts are never probably never going to get made. So there's nothing preventing these screenwriters from doing this huge thing like buildings collapsing or like layers and space battles. They could do all of that, you know? And a lot of them choose not to because they're they're thinking small and and they're allowing their imagination to be hobbled by a small page count um or by I don't know what exactly. And so I, what I like is that, you know, for better or worse, a 33-year-old Kevin Feige just said, like, we're not thinking big enough. Let's think a little bit bigger. Let's open our imaginations. And I don't know exactly how that lesson applies to everybody or even necessarily applies to me. But, you know, the climax, push it as far as you can. Push it, push it all the way to, yeah, you can't afford to shoot that right what you see. Um, yeah. Alex? Uh, I think I'm also Iron Man as far as my favorite character just because I enjoy myself most when Robert Downey Jr. comes on screen and starts mm -hmm. talking. Mm -hmm. uh, and as far as the lesson I take away, I think I've kind of maybe mentioned it before we've been talking about it, but I think I am impressed with the idea of creating a universe in which you really invest in characters across time and really live with the characters for long enough for whenever it concludes for it to really 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 matter in a way that doesn't matter as much in the two-hour movie so i think yeah i think i'm more into and michael you and i have talked about this like we're kind of more into limited series and serial content more than standalone films nowadays and we, we got into this to make standalone feature films as kind of like the the pinnacle of achievement and more and more it's feeling like the kind of stories that I get most invested in are stories told across time with characters that you spend a lot of time with and really get to know so I think yeah I I wasn't a fan of this particular universe and I wasn't that into these particular characters but that does not mean that it didn't achieve that thing and I am inspired to think about 
yeah, what's what thing would I be super into? And could this be done in different genres? Could this be done with different types of tones and characters and storylines? And I, I think this may be the future of storytelling more and more. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Brian? I think I'd also have to go Iron Man for favorite advent- Avenger. Grief, you guys. But, Just but. Ro- Robert Downey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I rest my case that it's not Hawkeye for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say the Taika Waititi version of Thor is yeah. like, I love it and I'm on board for it. Uh, and if uh, Ch- T'Challa's sister ever becomes an Avenger, then like Shuri. She'll, she'll be up there. Oh, I wish she was in it more. Though. I, yeah. I heard a rumor that Shuri is going to be the next Iron Man. Oh, that makes no sense you but... heard it here first <laughs> okay she's kind of a tech yeah she's like a tech person yeah. Right? Yeah. that kind of makes sense <laughs> cool um and lesson it's kind of a, a broad one but it's something i think about a lot is is the concept of movies needing some sort of previous knowledge you know hmm. uh, i remember a friend of mine when we saw red dragon he hated that the last line of the movie was Someone, I forget who, if it's Crawford or whoever it is, uh, coming into the the cell and saying, oh, there's an FBI agent here to see you. I'll tell her you, you know, you're not interested. And he says, wait, what is her name? And then like credits. And it's like, well, if you haven't, you, you assume someone's seen Silence of the Lambs, but if they haven't, it's just like just a weird line at the end that doesn't mean anything, you know, which nowadays would probably be the post credit scene. Like the sort of the movie is done. Now here's another little fun thing. Um, but like, for instance, I'm reading a book right now that uh, references everything that's happening right now in the world and it's a book on feminism so it's like it has to kind of talk about now because otherwise you know you don't know what the state of things is going to be in 10 years but i just remember thinking i'm glad i'm reading this book now and not in 10 years because otherwise it'd be like oh yeah karen pence is a person like that (laughs) that you know um and uh but i always struggle with that i guess with movies is the more you reference you know if casablanca had a ton of references to what was going on in 1940 like no one would care today, but it doesn't. It stands alone as other than like being set, obviously, in in the political climate at that time. Um, it, I'm talking about references of like saying, you know, referencing whatever show was popular on TV last week or something and sure. people being like, well, in 20 years, no one's going to remember what that thing was. So the more references you put in, the more it makes something current but the less it makes it sort of timeless and it's kind of impossible to make something be completely timeless and self-contained but what the mcu is doing is saying like we need an audience that knows all of this because that's who we are focused on and you can get away with it when you spend 11 years building an audience of millions of people like that's great and good for you that you that you did that but i sort of err on the side of like I want something to be more self-contained and be more in and of itself and not reference too many other things that you have to have previous knowledge of in order to, to appreciate it, you know, but the MCU is a good lesson in, yeah, but you don't have to do it that way. You can sort of like almost ask people and kind of force people to know this world in order to do something, even though I would probably go the other direction. And rely to, to some extent on filmic knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the whole middle chunk of Endgame is a time travel movie that relies on our understanding of time travel models in movies. Right, right. Right. So it's like you are exi- you are creating this movie dependent upon the a filmic history uh, that this Endgame is sort of interacting with and speaking to. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, why don't we really quick talk about what we've been watching the last week? Uh, Alex, you want to go first? So I think on the last podcast or one of the recent podcasts, I mentioned the movie Climax, <laughs> the <laughs> Gaspar Noé movie. <laughs> I have another uh, controversial, shocking movie from a French director this week, which is High Life by a female director, Claire Denis. 
and uh, it's it's not uh, it's not nearly as uh, horrifying an experience as a Gaspar Noé movie, but there it is pretty disturbing and has some horrifying moments. But overall, is a really I really enjoyed my theater experience. Um, it's a sci-fi film. It's a very small contained indie sci-fi movie with Robert Pattinson and Julia Pinoche. They're both amazing in it. And it's basically this like capsule containing prisoners heading towards a black hole, which is like an experiment they chose as opposed to like the death penalty. And it just shows like what happens psychologically to these people in this thing. So it's not an easy movie, but it's really, um, it's the kind of sci-fi that I would like to see more of, you know, it has those 2001 space odyssey vibes at moments. It's got really interesting exploration of like female sexuality, which I think could only be done by a female director. And I just think it's a really bold, fascinating piece of cinema. So if you're in for a challenging, weird indie sci-fi, check it out. High life. I had a friend that called that movie high space. He's like, I saw high space. And I was like, what? <laughs> it does take place in space. Okay. Hello high, space. High space. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Brian? Uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, got to see a movie that I've been waiting 15 years to see, mm-hmm. uh, to, well, to exist, which is Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, mm-hmm. uh, which he famously tried to make in the 90s and then actually went into production in uh, the early 2000s with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. And there's a documentary called uh, The Man uh, Lost, Lost in La Mancha, Mancha. Um, about the failure to make that movie. And lovely, the lovely thing is that those two filmmakers also filmed this movie so now they get to make their follow-up yeah. documentary about like him actually pulling it off i think i dream of giants is what the uh the new documentary is going to be called nice. um but yeah you know i i just i it was a one night screening one night only screening that i know trisha you also got to see mm-hmm. um but uh i just thought i owe it to 22 year old me to actually go and see this <laughs> yep. movie and it's adam driver is the the johnny depp character um and then jonathan price who i love is the is the don quixote character and um, John uh, Terry Gilliam is just one of those people where, like, he's not. It's not about the quality of his filmmaking. It's not about being like a technically perfect person or like even having your finger on the pulse of what movies are doing. It's about just being uniquely you and doing something that is that's coming from your brain. It's why I love David Lynch too. It's like we can talk about someone like Fincher who is like always making like the most beautifully perfect movies, but then this is sort of the opposite, which is like I'm just going to make something that's still cohesive and still impressive. But you watch a Terry Gilliam movie and like 20% of the time you're like, this is terrible. And the other 80% of the time you're like, you're a genius. You know? yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I just I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's definitely as long as you don't go in expecting a masterpiece 20 years in the making, like it's a really enjoyable time. Awesome. You just got to cool. be along for the ride. With mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. yeah. Trisha? Um, sure. Yeah. So um, I know you guys will probably now think that I only watch adaptations of classical literature, <laughs> which is kind of true. Uh, but actually, this um, Endgame put me onto like a 90s Gwyneth Paltrow kick. And so I watched uh, Hard Eight, which I'd never seen, which is one of P.T. Mm. Anderson's first I've movies. I've never seen that one either. Yeah. Really should check it out. Okay. But then I also decided I was going to sit down and watch Alfonso Cuaron's Great Expectations oh, wow. from 1998, starring Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow and Anne Bancroft and Chris Cooper and our best friend, Kim Dickens. <laughs> and it's, I really, really liked it. I mean, it, you have to sort of, I left out somebody really important, uh, Robert De Niro. Um, 
Anyway, if you you do sort of have to be familiar with uh, Great Expectations, just the book, in order to really appreciate it, but because it's a modern version of it set in Florida in the '90s, and it's totally insane. Um, but Ethan Hawke's performance in it is really great, and it's like kind of Quaron at his, I don't know, just most sort of visionary and really really smart filmmaking it, it works hmm. really well and you get the sense when you watch it it was really misunderstood at the time um i had no idea he did that although we were literally adapting every piece of classical <laughs> literature into something in the 90s like a modern day setting in the 90s but i really really liked it i thought it was great and i i just yeah those out those actors like they're brilliant um and i'll watch them do anything basically and uh, Anne Bancroft plays the Miss Haversham character and she's chilling. It's really good. Awesome. Speaking of Ethan Hawke, uh, I watched uh, this last week, rewatched Before Sunset, mm. which I hadn't oh, seen in a long time. so good. And it's just, it's disgustingly yes. good. Yeah. It's just <laughs> my heart upsettingly <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun to revisit it. I hadn't seen it in a long time and kind of trying to apply structural analysis to it because the first time I just got swept up oh, and yeah, everything yeah. and it, I think it really is an interesting example of there's definitely structure and all the things that make you know a story are happening but it's just being pulled off so effortlessly that it's like completely invisible so yeah it was a really it was a really really fun watch mm. um go watch all of those <laughs> they're all before trilogy they're too good yes um Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation on Infinity War and Endgame. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond Screenplay wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review on iTunes. It really, really helps us grow the channel. And tweet at us. We'd love to hear any and all of your thoughts. Uh, you can find me at Michael Tucker LA. And I'm at Trisha Jean A T R I C I A J E A N A. At Brian Bittner. At Alex underscore Calleros, C-A-L-L-E-R-O-S. So yeah, hit us up. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us whatever you're thinking. We want <laughs> tell us your favorite you. Avenger. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, yeah, tell us your favorite Avenger. Great. All right, well, thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.